ago, we jumped into a new sermon series on the book of Acts, and we're going to pick it back up today by talking about something about the life of Jesus that almost never gets talked about by anybody, including Christians. I mean, when you think about the life of Jesus, what do you usually think about? Do we not usually think about the three big events that still have a place on our calendar? His birth, his death, his resurrection. So that at that time of year, if you go to an, into a pharmacy or grocery store, you can find a card to send to somebody celebrating Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter. But trust me, 40 days after Easter, good luck on finding an Ascension card to send to someone. Right? Why? Because most people, including publishers, have no idea what the ascension is all about and why it is so important. So, look with me in Acts chapter 1 and follow along as I begin reading in verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria... And to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now, as I unpack the ascension for you and try to show you why it's such a big deal, I also want to take some time to clarify a few other things that I think Christians stay a little confused about. Here's the first thing, number one. You don't need to wonder what you should be doing as a Christian now. Jesus lifts the fog for us in verse 8 and tells us exactly that we should be witnesses to him. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, conjunction, and you shall be my witnesses. These two things go together, power and witness. But as soon as we start talking about power, the human sinful heart being what it is, as soon as we start talking about power, we can start getting real excited, but for all the wrong reasons. So I want to remind you what I tried to drive home to you two weeks ago. This power has a purpose because this power is a person who has a very specific passion. To make much of, say it, Jesus. Not himself, not you. Jesus. He doesn't want to make much of you. He wants to make much of Jesus through you. But here's something I want you to think about. He's given us this power to talk about Jesus. But I want you to realize, do you know that you could have power and still have no desire to use it if you don't have something else going on in your heart 
that Luke talks about at the end of his gospel. Remember when we kicked it off, I told you, Luke actually wrote a two-volume work, the Gospel of Luke and Acts, and we're jumping in on volume two. Well, he's already talked about the ascension at the end of volume one, and he gives us some insight as to something that has to be going on in your heart if you'll ever talk about Jesus. Jump back to Luke chapter 24 and look at it beginning in verse 51. Luke 24, verse 51. Now it came to pass, this is his first account of the ascension. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him. And returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Did you see it in verse 52? You see the additional insight we get about being his witnesses? Here's how I would say it to you. You have to be a joyful worshiper before you'll ever be a faithful witness. Power alone is not enough. Joyful worshiper before you'll ever be a faithful witness. Being told that you have power alone but no desire to use it And that's what some of you experience on a regular basis. When I give illustrations about talking to someone about Jesus, you just think, oh. And I know it can be scary. Trust me, I've tried to give you enough illustrations of where, yeah, I was scared too. Just this weekend, the Orkin man was at our house doing his Orkin thing. And we have a commitment. Anyone that comes to our house, dryer, washer, Orkin, insulation in the roof, whatever, we're going to try to share the gospel, say something spiritual, give them something And so I just tensed up because Vicky wasn't home. That's usually her job. I'm serious. I mean, who can reject sweet little Vicky? I mean, she's just pretty and tiny and she does it so sweetly. Hey, I just wanted you to talk about the most important thing in my life. And I want to, I'm left doing it with the working guy. I'm like, oh, come home, baby. But she didn't. And so I started to, you know, sweat and think, oh, I need to do this before he leaves. And so I hope that makes you feel better. I was just pacing the living room with my little gospel track thinking, oh, we have to do this. But folks, I want you to understand, if all I had was Acts 1-8 telling me I should do this, I would never do it. I'm not perfect, but you guys, I had just spent time with Jesus that morning on my patio. Coffee, Bible time, birds, flowers, Jesus. He's real to me. I love him. I know him. I delight in him. I worship him. And that does help me. Talk about him. Jesus said in Matthew 15, out of the abundance of the heart, the... Folks, what's in your heart most will come out of your mouth most often. Right? I mean, some of you talk about the reds all the time. There's really no reason to, but you do. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's just sad every year, but whatever. Big red machine, here we go. Yeah, sad. But it's in your heart. So it comes out of your mouth. Whatever it is, fly fishing, elk hunting, you name it, it's coming out. Race card, whatever, it's coming out of your mouth. Why? Because it's in your heart. Nobody has to tell me to talk about my wife, Vicki. Nobody has to say, we, we haven't heard you say anything about her in a while. I talk about her all the time, as often as possible, 
everywhere I go. I teach about once a month at least in another city at a conference. And one of my greatest joys, if she gets to go with me, sometimes I will have taught somewhere several years without her, but she can go with me that year. And I'll overhear, I'm engaged with someone, and she's over here talking to someone, and I can hear them say, and it makes my heart so happy, oh my goodness, it's so exciting to finally meet you. He talks about you all the time. Why? Because I spend time with her. I delight in her. I'm getting to know her, and therefore it just comes out of my mouth. Some of you need to, don't focus on your mouth about being a witness. Take some time to examine your heart, what's there or not. See, when you have not taken time to cult, and it takes time. I have to get up earlier than I would like to get up to spend time with Jesus. But if I don't, I won't know him well. I won't have a heart of worship. But if you fail to cultivate a heart of worship for Jesus, listen to me. You will be left trying to be a witness instead of getting to talk about someone you love. See the difference? Oh, there's so much more I could say about this, but it's not the main point of the message. Let's talk about the ascension So let's go to point number two. I want to jump into it. You don't need to wonder where Jesus is or what he's doing right now. That's what the ascension is all about, folks. Because Jesus didn't want us to be confused or fuzzy about where he is and what he's doing right now. If you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them record after the resurrection... After the resurrection, there was a period of 40 days where he had been making surprise appearances left and right, just popping in and out of their lives, randomly surprising them. They never knew where he was going to show up next. And so the ascension definitively closed out his bodily, earthly ministry as they watched him exit this world in a cloud of glory, But oh, don't make a mistake. That exit did not end the ministry of Jesus. It was the beginning of his exaltation. You see, the ascension exalted Jesus to the highest place. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Basically, Ephesians chapter 1, folks, is a glorious... Run-on sentence, by the way, English teachers. It's a glorious run-on sentence that unpacks the implications of the ascension of Jesus. Because he's ascended to the right hand of God, here's who we are now and what we can do. And over and over and over, it uses the phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Christ, in Christ, we've been chosen and sealed and adopted and redeemed and ransomed and forgiven and given an inheritance. It's like... It's just pile on phrases that are all because he died, rose, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. Pick it up in verse 20. God raised him from the dead. Most Christians understand that. But this next phrase is about the ascension, folks. And seated him at his right hand. In the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet 
and has given him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, he is not now just hanging out in heaven with other spiritual beings and angels all equal. Oh, not, not at all. That is not the case. You see, the Greek word for seated right there, don't get in your mind chilling out. Don't think of a lazy boy recliner. He's not like done and he's resting. That word seated was a Greek word. A Greek word that meant to install someone or to place someone into an office of power and authority. He has been installed and placed into a position of power and authority. And that's why Paul says this power and authority that he has now is above all principalities and powers, things now, things to come. In other words, folks, right now, not one day someday. I know one day someday he's coming back. But some of you make the mistake of thinking, and one day someday he'll be King Jesus. One day someday he'll have all power and rule over all. News alert, he has it now. He rules over all now. He is no longer just a humble servant savior. He has been installed as King Jesus, and he rules and reigns over all. 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 Right now. Look at the extent of his power and authority in verse 21. Far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named. Not just this age, that which to come. He's put all things under his feet, given him to be head over. There's a key word that just keeps happening. All. Because he knows you're thinking, but what about? What about? What about? What about? What about? What about? Yeah, what about? Including that. Including that. Including that. Including that. Including that. Including that. Jesus has the highest position and place in all of the universe. King Jesus. It trumps all powers. But now here's where it gets really exciting. Because this is not just, so he has all this power. So he has all this authority. So he has all this glory and honor unto himself. And he just delights in it. Oh, listen. Because he has all power and authority and has been installed into this position above all other names, he is in a position to bless his children like never before. The ascension unleashed the ministry of Jesus for his people on a level that had never been seen before. In other words... His ministry for you didn't end when he exited. It was taken to a whole new level because of the ascension. And yet I think so many Christians have no idea what Jesus is doing for them right now. If you would show them the second point, B. That he now has unleashed a ministry for his people on a level that was never seen before. Let's dig into some of it. Here's what's going on. If you think, well, what is Jesus doing now? Often if we were to play the game and I'd say, what do you think Jesus is doing right now? If most of you had any answer besides just floating, which is not right, 
it would be, oh, he's got a shovel in his hand or a hammer in his hand and he's building me a mansion. He does say, if I go away, I'm going to prepare a place for you that when you come, I... Folks, but there's so much more than that that he's doing. He's not just doing things that one day, someday will be yours. He's doing some critical things that are yours now. And that's why some of you live the Christian life so poorly. You don't understand what he's doing for you now. So here's the first thing, number one. Jesus intercedes for us now. In the very presence of God. Now if that fall, falls flat on you, let me help enliven that. Do you realize how precious and powerful and life-changing that is? That Jesus stands in the very presence of God now. Not for himself for you. That's why the book of Hebrews talks the way it does in, in chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands here on this earth, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself. There's the ascension. Now to appear in the presence of God. Oh, two precious words. Say it. For us. Say it again. For us say for me for me say it again for me oh my goodness if you're here and you're a christian he stands right now in the presence of a holy just powerful wise god and he stands there for you i don't know who you think is against you you can feel like the whole world is against you you may th even feel like your immediate family is against you. Co-workers are against you. Listen to me. If you're a Christian, Jesus, who has all authority over principality, power, dominion, every other name in this life and the one to come, is for you. That's why Paul could say in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against The only, oh, listen to me. The only reason God can be for us and not against us is Jesus stands for you in the presence of God. Say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, my goodness. This is because of the ascension. Jesus stands in the presence of God continually for you, representing you continually. Bringing his perfect life and righteousness into the presence of God. Look at me. As if it was yours. So that when God the Father thinks about you, he sees his son. Because you and his son are one. That's why Ephesians chapter 1 says about a dozen times, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Has nothing to do with how great you're living, nothing to do with how much you're proving to be a great Christian. I hear people say, well, I just need to try to be a better Christian. Good luck on that. 
I understand pursuing holiness, folks, but we've got too many Christians that do not understand union with Christ. You are in Christ, and God sees you as he sees his son. And how often is he displeased with his son? Say it again. Say it louder. Never. So how often does he think you are a loser? It's the same thing the author was driving home to us in in Hebrews 7 when he says, by so much more. You you see he's ramping something up. You see he's teeing it up about to say, I'm about to tell you something that's so much better than what you think. It's so much better than what you naturally have assumed. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety. Of a better covenant. Also there were many priests. Because they were prevented by death from continuing. But. He. Because he continues. How long? Forever. Because he continues forever. Has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore. Whenever the Bible waxes eloquent and just goes crazy about who Jesus is and what he's done, it's never just to glorify him. There's an appropriate place for that. But it is also to change how you think who you are and what you can do. There's always a therefore. The implications of this are what? So what? So what? I'll tell you what. The author says, therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost Those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That word surety is a Greek word that refers to someone who personally answers for or stands stands on behalf of somebody else. It was a legal courtroom term for the security or guarantee of new terms that someone had in relationship to something or someone else. Here's the problem with some of you. You keep thinking the terms by which you still can have prayer and direct access to his throne and that he loves you, he sings over you, he thinks about you favorably, he delights in you, is based on how you're doing. I didn't read my Bible very long. Oh, I haven't witnessed in like forever. He's mad at me. He doesn't. Folks, banish those thoughts. Jesus is the surety. Jesus is the security and guarantee of new terms on which you can now relate to God. And it's on the basis of his perfect life and sacrifice and resurrection that you have those terms. And he never changes. The death never needs to be repeated. And his ability to satisfy the Father is never diminished. Ever diminished. Constantly he stands in the presence of God for you making intercession for you and he stands there as the surety of a better covenant not that old testament bring an animal kill an animal offer sacrifice sweet smelling incense grain dove bulls heifers it's all done jesus didn't just die for you he lives for you now so that 
it changes forevermore what God thinks about you. Because it's not based on you. It's based on his son. His son who never changes. What Hebrews 7, 22 is telling us is that your personal guarantee. See, whenever we think we have certain privileges and rights, we can get nervous thinking, well, based on what? Why, why am I being given that? Based on what? What's the basis? What's the ground? What's my security? How do I know that's not going to be taken away? How do I know there's not limits to that? How do I know? How do I know? Jesus is the surety, the guarantee, the security that this new, these new terms that you have as a forgiven believer are not based on how well or not you are living the Christian life on any given day. Oh, some of you need to hear that. And some of you need to not just hear it, you need to believe it for you and it would change how you live. Don't hear me saying, oh man, if I really thought that, then I'd just go out and sin even more. No, you wouldn't. Oh, no, you wouldn't. When you know that not only did he purchase your right to become a child of God, but he's the reason you continue as a child of God. Some of you think there's this dark cloud and there's this low level of guilt and condemnation that you live with. And some of you think, you never go a few days without thinking, I'm just inches from being kicked out of the kingdom, tossed out of the family of God. My adoption papers revoked because I am such a pathetic Christian. You regularly think about how unworthy you are and how often you fail. So let me make it worse. You're even more unworthy than you think. And you fail even more often than you're aware of it. You are horrible. And so am I. That's why I need a Savior. Not to just begin the Christian life, but to live the Christian life every day. My right as a son or daughter of a holy God is based on Jesus who never changes. Not me and how well I'm doing on any given day. Wow. So let me poke a little bit right here. Because, oh, I think there's Christians. Oh, I've been praying this week as I studied, praying over the weekend. That God would actually set some believers free. Who have limped through their entire Christian life. Who get beat up on this constantly. Who do not understand who Jesus is and what he's doing for them right now. So they live with just this low grade sense of dis- discouragement and guilt and see if that's you living with that dark cloud if that's you regularly fearful that you're about to get kicked out of the kingdom listen to me you do not understand the ascension of Jesus and what he's doing for you right now and you do not understand the new terms by which you have this relationship with the God of the universe It didn't start with you, and praise God, it's not kept secure by you. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Oh, that's good news. Oh, my goodness. You would think so differently if you were to get a hold of this. You would have such joy and peace and security because you would know it's based 
Your security in the family of God is based on the surety of a savior, not your performance. Oh, and that doesn't cause you to want to lay back and do less. You'll be able to go harder because when you blow it, you don't get derailed off and just curl up. Oh, I did it again. I'm a terrible Christian. Yes, you're a terrible Christian. And so I am. And that's why Jesus intercedes for us day and night. That's why Jesus is continually in the presence of the Father. That's why Jesus is our surety. None of us would finish the Christian life if Jesus was not our surety. And the spirit of Jesus did not live in us. That's our only hope. He intercedes for us. He stands in the presence of God. See, folks, if your struggle is you are that Christian that has this dark cloud and constantly insecure that you're going to be kicked from the family of God, it indicates that your Christianity still has way too much of you in it and not enough of Jesus. Jesus. Some of you, you would have never said it, but here's how you're living. Oh, I know you got to start with Jesus. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, plus nothing, you'd say, amen. And here's what you've done. He started it, it's what he, but it's my job now to keep it going. It's my job to prove that I am a child of God. i got to constantly prove that I deserve to be in the family of God. Can I stay in? Can I stay in? Am I living good enough? And that, that, that path of Christianity is exhausting and joyless. And even here, some of you that might say, I'm, I'm not a believer, I'm not a Christian, and this is what scares you about even considering it. I don't think I could keep doing it. I don't think I could live that life. I don't think I could perfectly do it. Good news. It's Jesus that saves you, and it's Jesus that keeps you. It isn't what you try to do the rest of your life. It's Jesus. 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 And if you were to get a hold of this, folks, it's more than just, oh, you'd have more joy, you'd have more peace, you'd have more security. Yes, you would. Guess what else you'd have? You would have more ability to think about someone besides yourself. Here's what I want you to consider. Most of us are astute enough to recognize selfish, prideful thoughts keep you focused on you. Guess what? Pathetic, self-loathing thoughts keep you focused on Stay with me. Satan does not care which tactic gets it done as long as you stay focused on you. Some of you he knew, I can lure you onto that path of selfish, prideful thoughts. Now you're done. You're fairly useless for the kingdom because without humility, but some of others of you, oh, the best tactic is to lure you because you're sensitive, to lure you onto the path of pathetic, self-loathing thoughts. And now... You are also rendered fairly useless for the because you can't ever get any traction in the Christian life because your time is mostly consumed still assessing yourself and trying to prove and get yourself some assurance, but it's based on all the wrong things. You keep looking at you. You keep combing over your immediate circumstances. Useless. Either way, either way. Let me show you something else in the book of Hebrews that is ours because of the ascension. Number two, Jesus gives us unlimited access to the throne of God. As soon as I say that, I can't help but get excited on an earthly level. Think about Verizon or an AT&T phone plan. Dad, 
That's just because we have a family plan with five lines. And I, I keep, I always get scary texts. The number ending 8319 is, it's got 10% left and they're done. We got 12 days left. I don't want to be done. But someone else in my family has been watching movies. And I'm going to find out who it is. And they're going to be done. And so now I pay $5 extra a month to have the right to set the limits. <laughs> I get lots of gigs. They get a few gigs. And when, they, and when they gig out their gigs on a stupid movie, they're just gigged out. You won't be doing much. As soon as you hear unlimited access, you get excited. But folks, this is so much better than unlimited data. Hey, wow. Look at the unlimited access that Hebrews 4 talks about beginning in verse 14. Seeing then. Now notice what he's doing. He's moving our eyes to see someone besides ourselves as he tells us what this someone is doing since he's ascended. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, the ascension, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And notice again, Jesus, 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 but there are implications. Let us therefore, in light of him being our high priest who has ascended and stands there continually for us, let us therefore come. How? Say it again. Boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now look at me. Those verses are not talking about, whoa. You're here for me, right? Those verses are not talking about salvation, folks. Those verses are talking about the everyday Christian life. God knew life is hard. And the Christian life sometimes only gets harder. Never mind the people on TV with the hair swept back and expensive cars. It gets harder. So he knew you cannot live the Christian life without gulping down great heaps of mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. And you get that mercy and grace to obtain mercy, to find grace at the throne of grace. So if our enemy Satan can confuse you and deceive you into thinking, well, I can't approach God. I can't come into prayer. I can't enter into worship because I had a bad week or I've done this or I haven't done that. Stay with me. If he can confuse you about the privilege you have to not come sheepishly or timidly and not say, have I had a good week? I guess I can come. If he can confuse you, then you are cut off from two of the things you desperately need to live the Christian life. Grace and mercy. That's why the Bible calls him a liar, a deceiver, and stay with me, an accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. He accuses us constantly, right? Do you not hear it? You call yourself a Christian. Look at what you just did. Look at what you just thought. Look at what you should have done that you didn't do. Pathetic. I want you to understand, when you hear those kind of statements, trust me, that is never the Holy Spirit. Our Father, by His Spirit, does not talk to His children that way. Because what do those thoughts make you want to do? Quit, right? 
Quit. That's what he wants you to do. Quit. And those thoughts have you all focused on you. You. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He's an accuser of the brethren. So here's what I want you to understand. Some of you need to learn to talk back to your flesh and the devil. Knowing who you are in Christ and that he's seated. See, this boldness is not, well, just be bold. It's a boldness based on Jesus. It's a boldness based on Jesus. Seeing then, and you look at Jesus, therefore come boldly that you may obtain mercy. His mercies are new every morning, but some of you aren't tasting them or experiencing them because you think you can't come and take them. And find grace. I don't need just grace to save me, folks. I need grace to live the Christian life. I need grace to be empowered. Obtain mercy. Find grace. 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 Some of you have the unbiblical habit of combing over your own life every time you consider approaching God's throne in prayer or worship to see if you're worthy to come. And therefore, you usually conclude you're not, and you hang back. When you do that, you prove you do not understand the ascension and what Jesus is doing for you right now. And here's what happens. It just becomes worse. It just spins you, right? So you've, you've done something wrong, but you think, I can't go again. I can't ask forgiveness. It's too often. It's too much. I've hit my limit. He's going to say, you again? Really? Get out of here. And what happens? I need God's grace and mercy. I pull back and don't get it. I start to feel even worse. I do even worse. I say, I really need, but now I really can't go. Do you see what? is happening, you just spin further and further away from the place of grace that is actually what you need because you think you have to deserve to go there. But you'll never deserve to go there. Jesus stands as your surety and is the basis of the new terms by which you can relate to the holy, perfect God of the universe and come boldly not timidly or sheepishly and say I did it again that's why I needed a savior to begin with I still need a savior today oh help me God and he'll give you grace again and he'll show you mercy again because it's based on Jesus not you you better get a hold of what the Bible says about the ascension so that you'll know that you can come to the throne of grace. Because here's two things that are happening. When you're confused and you hold back, it is dishonoring to Jesus and his exaltation. And it is debilitating to you. Dishonoring and debilitating. Dishonor, you dishonor Jesus and his power and authority and position. And you are rendered. Discouraged, despairing, debilitated. And some of you have been on that path for a while now. Oh, how I pray that God would open your eyes not to see yourself as better, but to see your Savior as present right now, interceding for you and standing continually in the presence of God. You better get a hold of what the Bible says about the ascension so you can use it to talk back to your enemy and your own flesh. Some of you would do well to just 
dig into Ephesians chapter 1 and prayerfully meditate on that. And read Hebrews, all of it. Read Hebrews, all of it. It's like better, better, better. A better mediator. Jesus is how you get to God. A better covenant. New terms. Jesus. A better inheritance because of Jesus. A better sacrifice. Jesus. A better high priest. Jesus. Are you starting to get the picture? And Hebrews was written not so that we would just see how God saves us, but so we would see how God keeps us and thinks about us as we live the Christian. You even think about the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, let us therefore run, talking about the Christian life, with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking constantly at our pathetic lives and failures. No. Fixing our eyes on, say it again, Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Some of you would begin to run for the Christian life. In the first, for the first time in the Christian life. You have crawled. Yea, verily, you have toddled and stumbled and laid there for a while and beat yourself up. You have wallowed, but you have yet to run. You want to run? You need more Jesus in your Christianity. You want to begin to run and sense freedom and favor? Then you need to understand who Jesus is is and what he's doing for you right now. But let me point out something else we have because of the ascension of Jesus. His ascension changes the level of intimacy that we can have with God now. Your first thought might be the absence of Jesus from the earth now bodily puts more distance between us and God. That is not true. In fact, the absence of Jesus here on this earth is what ushers us into a level of intimacy that was never possible before by his spirit. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 8. In Romans chapter 8, when he says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And that word Abba is an Aramaic word that was an endearing, tender word for Father. So not just a cold, harsh, scary, distant Father. It was a word that literally meant Daddy, Papa. Because Jesus ascended and has been installed in the office of power and authority that's above every other name, he has given his spirit to his children so that you have the privilege now to call the God of the universe who was your enemy, not just your father, but daddy, papa. A mind-blowing change of circumstances. Again, not based on you. Based on Jesus who never changes. Oh, there's more that I wanted to show you about the ascension in Ephesians 1, but I'll let you read it for yourself. Because I want to use my final minutes to clarify one more thing that you might be wondering about. Number three. You You don't need to wonder if you'll ever see Jesus for yourself. Man, will I ever see Jesus? You will. Every single person sitting here, whether you're a Christian today or not, you will see 
Jesus. That's what Acts chapter 1 verse 11 is taught about when the angel said, This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Here's what I want you to understand. His ascension was visible, bodily, and glorious. So his return is going to be visible, bodily, and glorious. But oh, there is a huge difference between his exit and his return. The ascension was seen by 11 apostles huddled together on the Mount of Olives. So that he departed in a very quiet, private way. But he is going to return in a public, noisy display of power and glory and dominion. And every eye will see it. That's what Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says. He is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. That's why 1 Thessalonians 4 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a whisper. Oh, no, no. (laughs) With a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God will sound. He will rock the skies and every eye will see Jesus. Coming back as King Jesus. And that's what the book of Philippians was talking about when it describes his exaltation. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him. And given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of those in heaven. Of those on the earth. Of those under the earth. And that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's what I want you to understand. Christian or non-Christian today. You will say Jesus is Lord. So the question is not, will you ever say Jesus is Lord? I haven't yet. Oh, you will. The only question is, when will you say it? On that final day, you will say it because it's true. But if you never said it in this life, if you never bowed your knee and your heart and your life... And yielded your life to him and said, Jesus is Lord. It will not save you in that day. Every human being will say, Jesus is Lord. And then multitudes will be exiled into a Christless eternity in hell. While multitudes of others that said, Jesus is Lord, will be ushered into eternal bliss in the presence of Of their Savior. It's not because these people were better or lived a better life or tried harder. It will be based on one thing. It'll be based on these people bowed the knee and said, Save me, have mercy on me, oh God, through your Son, I'm a sinner. I could never save myself. Have mercy. That's it. But it needs to happen now. That's why Paul said in Romans 10, today is the day of salvation. If you hear my voice, today is the day. Don't put this off. Oh, come to Christ, my friend. If you're here and you're not a Christian, come to Christ. 
I'm not asking you to come to this church. I'm not asking you to give money. I'm not asking you to be baptized, christened, or anything else. Come to Jesus. He took on flesh and perfectly kept God's law that you could never do. And then he gave his life in payment for sin and died the final ultimate sacrifice that a goat and a bull and a lamb could never purchase with his own blood. He paid the penalty you could never pay. And now he's ascended at the right hand of God and his spirit is drawing men and women to himself. He's calling. He's calling. He's calling. Come to Christ. Oh God, thank you. Thank you not just for who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, but for who Jesus is and what he's doing right now, day and night, interceding for us, standing continually in the presence of God for us as our surety. Oh, God, thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray.